We are about to dig into the Word of God. Anyone excited? Father, we just come before you right now. We pray, Jesus, that you would open our minds, open our hearts, that we can hear from you today. We just praise you for this beautiful day and for all these beautiful people here. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, today is week four in our message series in the book of Colossians. The title of our series is Rooted, because you and I need to be rooted and built up in Jesus. That should be the very foundation for our lives. Now, who remembers uh, why the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Colossians? Why did he write this? Anyone remember? Heresy. Heresy, that's right. He was writing the book to combat the heresies that were creeping up in the Colossian church. And so last time that we were together, Paul uh, went to combat over one of the main heresies, which was confronting who Jesus is. The heresy was saying that Jesus was not the Son of God. That's all what last week's message was about. But another heresy that Paul battled that I'm going to touch on today is called syncretism. Syncretism involves the blending and the assimilation of various beliefs and schools of thought. You could think of it like this. Think of it like you're going through a spiritual buffet and you're just picking out what ideas and what things you want from all these various religions and you're putting them on your plate. That's syncretism. Okay? That's what it visually looks like. Syncretism relies on the standards and the ideas of man instead of the absolute truth of the Bible. And so many who subscribe to this kind of thinking believe that all religions are similar and that they all lead to the same God, as if all roads lead to the same God. That's syncretism. Paul fought this against, he fought against this in his day, and sadly this heresy is still around even today. The Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University published a, uh, some shocking results from a survey in May of this year. Mike, thank you for sending that to me. That was an awesome article. Unfortunately, I didn't like what I was reading in there, but I appreciate you sending it to me. <laughs> 62% of Christian pastors possess a hybrid worldview known as syncretism. That means six out of ten pastors have a predominantly syncretistic worldview. Only 37% of pastors have a biblical worldview. This is incredibly shocking and disturbing. George Barna, who's the director of research at the Cultural Research Center, he said this, this is another strong piece of evidence that the culture is influencing the American church more than the Christian churches are influencing the culture. So one of the very same heresies that Paul was combating in his letter to the Colossians is the same kind of heresy that continues today. Now, in the Christian Post, uh, they recently published an article that said that over one-third of senior pastors in the United States believe that you can earn a place in heaven simply by being a good person. One-third believe that. If we know your Bible at all, you know that salvation is only by His grace through our faith. And the only one that was good enough was Jesus. You and I could never be good enough. He was perfect. He was a sinless, spotless Lamb of God. So one-third of pastors? The article also said that nearly 40% of evangelical pastors believe there is no absolute moral truth and that each individual must determine their truth. As if what's true for me is not true for you and vice versa. That's crazy. I mean, our Bible right here, that is absolute moral truth. That is the standard that we should be holding each other accountable to. 40%. 
And then 30% of pastors also did not answer affirmatively that salvation is based on confessing our sins and then accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior. How in the world? If we read our Bibles, we know you have to confess your sins. 1 John 1.9 says, if you confess your sins, if God is faithful and just to forgive you of our sins. I don't even know, need to go there about accepting Jesus. Come on, we know that's true. Now, I wouldn't be all surprised about these statistics if they were from normal, everyday people, believers and unbelievers. But these statistics were based on Christian pastors in America today. These are supposed to be the people who are shepherding the Lord's people. Now, I point out all these statistics simply to illustrate just how deceptive our enemy is. He will use any means necessary, including people in the church, to distract, to destroy, to divide, and to deceive. Should we really be all that surprised, though, if we step back and think about it? Should we really be all that surprised? The Bible warns us that this kind of thing will get worse and worse the closer we get to Jesus coming back. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 says, Now the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits, and the teachings of demons. They will depart from the faith and go after teachings. Now, another word for teachings is doctrine. So they're going to go after the doctrines of demons. And that's exactly what's going on in those statistics that I just shared with you. All those pastors that believe that you can earn your way to heaven, that there is no absolute moral truth, that it's up to each person to determine their own truth, or that you don't have to confess your sins or receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. These are all examples of doctrines of demons. And there are unfortunately many more. Any teaching that denies the absolute truth of God's word is from demons. Now, I'm not going to go into the theological debate about departing from faith. As the scripture said, I'm not going to go there today. But I do want to ask this of you. We all need to take our preconceived notions that are based on man's ideas, man's interpretation. And we need to set them aside and simply listen to the word of God as the Holy Spirit leads you. That's what we should do every time we read and study the word of God. Don't rely on what man has said, no matter how good it sounds or how long it's been said. Now I'm going to read in my Bible, 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. I want you to hear this. It says, but you have received the Holy Spirit. So if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have received the Holy Spirit, meaning he dwells on the inside of you. And he lives within you, so you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know. And what he teaches is true. It is not a lie. So just as he's taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. Amen. Do you hear that in the, in the scripture? You don't need teaching from anywhere else if you have the Holy Spirit within you. He's going to guide. He's going to direct you. There are plenty of doctrines of demons that have been passed down from generation to generation. And they're getting worse all the time as the end draws near. Some of them make us feel really good. They make us feel safe and cozy. But as remnant believers, we must reject cozy Christianity. 
We don't need our ears tickled. We need the power of the gospel in our lives. And we need the truth, the whole truth of God's word in our hearts. Paul warns us about cozy Christianity. He says this in 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 through 4. He says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. This is happening right now before our very eyes all across the world. It's especially happening right here in our own country. Where is the fear of God? Where is the truth of God's word? We don't want some watered-down, feel-good, cozy Christianity. Now, we see again in this text a turning away from the truth because people would rather have their ears tickled than to have their hearts convicted by the truth. Put that in your blank, convicted. Don't get hung up on what type of people are turning away or departing from the faith, or even if departing from the faith is even possible. It's an endless debate that doesn't even matter. All that matters is Jesus. Just keep following him, no matter what. And this is my heart's cry for everyone, to become and to remain fully devoted followers of Christ. This is the main point that the Apostle Paul drives home in our text today. He makes it abundantly clear that we must stay rooted in the truth and we must remain in Jesus. So if you've got your Bibles, if you could turn to 1 Colossians, we're going to look at verse 21 through 23. Anybody need a Bible? Awesome. Anyone else? (coughs) I'm choking on my water. Chuck, do you need a Bible? Sweet. Here you are, sir. All right, so 1 Colossians, verse 21 through 23. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions. Excuse me just a second. You know when that water goes down the wrong pipe? Man, here we go. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. You know, when I was studying this text, the words in verse 23 really stood out to me. It says, if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This is where we're going to focus our time tonight, right here, actually, this afternoon. (laughs) This afternoon. I've titled this message, Remain. Remain. Because we must remain grounded and steadfast in the faith. We must never be shifted away from it. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that that could never happen. If it could never happen, then why is the warning here in our scripture? 
And listen, this is not an isolated instance as if I just cherry-picked it right out of the Bible. Let me give you some more verses here that warn us about remaining. 2 Peter 3.17 says, Be on your guard so that you are not led away by the error of lawless people and fall from your own stable position. Be on your guard so that you're not led away. 1 John chapter 2, verse 24 through 26 says, You must remain faithful to what you've been taught from the beginning. What have you been taught from the beginning? You've been taught the truth. You've been taught the gospel. That's what John is talking about here. If you do, you will remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father. And in this fellowship, we enjoy the eternal life he promised us. I am writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. Those people are alive and well today that want to lead you away from the truth. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. We must pay attention all the more to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. We've got to pay attention. What did we hear? The truth, the gospel. We've got to stay on it. 2 John 1, 9 says, Anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching but goes beyond it does not have God. The one who remains in that teaching, this one has both the Father and the Son. John chapter 8, verses 31 through 32. If you abide, that word abide, the synonym for that is remain. If you remain in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And the last one, I, I save the best for last. These are the words of Jesus. Here we go. John 15, verses 4 through 6. Jesus says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruit, fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. You see, all of these warnings are here so that we will remain in Jesus. Remnant believers always remain. Remnant believers reject cozy Christianity that attempts to shift us away from the, the, uh, the hope of the gospel. And that hope rests squarely in Jesus. That hope is an anchor for our souls so that when we're not tossed back and forth by the doctrines of demons, we must remain in him. Don't ever be seduced by a doctrine of demons, no matter how eloquent or how appealing that it sounds. Always hold it up against the truth of God's word. Now, before we can remain in the faith, we really need to make sure we are even in the faith. Nearly 70% of Americans profess to be Christians. Did you know that? 70%. But research shows that only 10% of Americans even hold a biblical worldview. That means there are a lot of people in this country who think they're saved when they're really not. I suspect that one of the main reasons for this is because most Americans either reject real Christianity or they embrace a cozy Christianity. We're going to get some shirts made, by the way. They're going to say, I reject cozy Christianity. So if you're going to want one of those, you let us know because we're going to be wearing... Thank you, Mark. (laughs) 
We reject cozy Christianity. Now, I could not find the name of the person for this quote that I'm about to share. I wanted to give this person credit, but it's so spot on that I just had to share it with you. Here it goes. A Christian that doesn't fundamentally, or excuse me, a Christianity that doesn't fundamentally shake you to your core, doesn't change you, doesn't make you a light of goodness to the world, is a weak Christianity, a lukewarm Christianity, a dead Christianity. Amen. Whoever said that is exactly right. Now, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 21. He said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we did not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. That word many there grieves me deeply because there are many who believe that they're saved and they're really not. These people can be anywhere. It's where we work, where we go out to eat, where we go on vacation, or even where we go to church. Jesus says to these people very clearly, I never knew you. In other words, he never had a relationship with you. That word knew there, that's genosko in the Greek. It means to have an intimate relationship with. I never knew you, Jesus said. Now, to receive Jesus, we've got to be born again. Born again is a spiritual rebirth where we believe in who Jesus is as the Son of God and what he did by giving his life on the cross for our sins. And this belief causes us to repent and turn away from our sins and turn to him as our Lord and Savior. Then when we commit our lives to him, we should follow him. We don't continue in our old ways because we are now a new creation. And so we let go of the old and we grasp hold of the new, which is a life dedicated, fully committed, and entirely focused on pleasing him and following him. So does that characterize our lives? Are we truly following him? We can't rely on an emotional experience that we might have had in the past. We have to rely on our faith in Jesus now, which means our lives must be centered on him now. 2 Corinthians 13.5 tells us we are to examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith. We're to test ourselves. So to remain in him, we first have to make sure that we're even in him to begin with. And being in him means we can't be living complacent in sin. We can't be comfortable just living our lives, sinning ourselves all the time. We can't do that. 1 John chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Did you hear that? No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. This is truth right here. So we don't even have Jesus if we're content to live in our sins. That's what this verse is saying. We can't keep on making a practice of sinning if we're children of God because it is impossible. 
So if that's you, if that's you and you're caught up in some habitual sin and you're going, man, am I even saved to begin with? Let me tell you something. There's hope for you today. Because the word says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. So that means we're going to have to humble ourselves. Who's got the humble shirt on today that I saw? Who has it? There it is right there. Stay humble. It takes humility for you to say, yes, I recognize I need you, Jesus. He is our atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, for those of us who have been saved through the power of the gospel, if we've been saved, there are three things that we must do to remain grounded and steadfast in the faith so that we're never, ever moved away from it. Number one, to remain we must remember his promises. We must remember his promises. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5 through five says, Blessed be the God and our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through your faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Isn't that awesome? You're being guarded by God's power through your faith. We've got to remember that promise. John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28 says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them. There's that word know again. It means he's got a relationship with them. And they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. His sheep will follow him, and no one will take them from his hand. That is a promise you can stand on right there. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. There we go. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Y'all feeling hopeful right there with stuff like that? These are promises you need to hang on right there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. He will keep you strong to the end. He will keep you strong to the end so you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this. He is faithful to do what he says and he has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. In other words, he finishes what he starts. We've got to remember his promises. Secondly, to remain, we must renew our minds. We've got to renew our minds. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
And you know, this renewal, it's a recalibration of our thinking from our way to God's way. It's a realignment of our minds so that we see and understand God's perfect will. This renewal can only occur if we're in His Word. That's how our minds are renewed, through the power of His Word. And thirdly, to remain, we must resist the devil. We must resist the devil. The Bible tells us that if we resist the devil, he will what? He will flee from us. Exactly. The devil will do everything he can to shift us away from our faith. He's really good at using fear, worry, and doubt. These are some of his chief weapons. Another of his weapons is this constant barrage of enticing us to sin. So the way to resist the devil so that we can remain faithful is the same way Jesus did. We use the word of God. When Jesus was tempted, he responded with, It is written. And then he quoted scripture. To remain, we have to do the same. So to remain grounded and steadfast in our faith so that we're not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that we've heard, we must remember his promises. Renew our minds and resist the devil. Every single one of these starts and finishes with the word of God. We've got to know the word of God. That's the bottom line. We can't rely on what people tell us about the word of God. We need to actually know it for ourselves. And we can't just listen to it. We need to actually do what it says. To remain, we must be doers of the word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. Sometimes it's difficult to hear it because it's not comfortable. But who said your word was comfortable? Your word is truth. And truth does sometimes hurt. We pray, Jesus, that you'd keep us aligned with your Holy Spirit in your word. Help us to reject anything that comes against your word. Help us to be students of the word of God so that we can point out the many deceivers that are out there because there's more and more coming as we get closer to the end. We know that. But we thank you that we have your son, Jesus. He is our rock. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. And as long as we keep our eyes fixed on him, that truth will always keep us free. And we thank you for that. I pray, Jesus, that you just move in our hearts, that you draw us to you, that you help us remember that it's all about you. So as we keep praying today, if you're here, and perhaps you've not given your life to Jesus, maybe you've thought you've saved, but you want to make sure today that you are. And you know, the, the book of 1 John tells us, I have written these things to you, so that you may know you have eternal life. I don't want you to leave here today unless you know you have eternal life. So if the Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart right now and you feel that, the presence of the Lord, that you want to make this commitment to follow him, I encourage you to slip up your hand so I can pray for you right now. Thank you. Anyone else? All right. If you slipped up your hand, just pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner. And I'm in need of a Savior. I cannot save myself. So I ask right now, Jesus, that you would come into my life, that you'd make me brand new, and I will stand upon the truth of your word, that you went to the cross for my sins. 
You died, and on the third day you were rose again from the dead. And I stand in that, and I believe that, and I put my trust in that. I ask for your forgiveness for my sins. I confess them before you. Make me brand new. From this day forward, I will now commit my life to follow you. If you prayed that prayer, you can rest on the truth that you are now part of the family of God. Others of you may be here, and you may be thinking, you know, I recognize I do know Jesus, but I'm not obeying him like I should, and I need to. Father, I pray that you would encourage all of us to walk with you, to actually do what your word says. Teach us, Father, to stay strong in your word, to live it out. And so when people see us, they don't just hear what we're saying, they can see what we're doing, and they can go, yep, I see that that is an alignment with truth, and I want that, I want that hope. Help us to be contagious Christians that walk with you. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.